Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Anders Gunstensen jumped up from his straw pallet, struck a match, and relit the oil lamp. Once, what was the time now? How soon could he start for North America? He teased open the gold case of the watch grandfather had given him. At that moment, when Uncle Torgus burst into the barn with a great bang of the door. Anders, you oaf, wasting my lamp oil in the middle of the night, he smelled of hard spirits. The cattle, accustomed to Torgus's rages, neither lowed nor bellowed. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Larry Summers about his debut novel, The Price of Passage, A Tale of Immigration and Liberation. The historical saga begins in Norway with protagonist Anders Gunstensen bound for seven years of servitude to his uncle, He manages to escape and makes his way to a ship bound for New Orleans in America. There, Anders is shocked to watch as slaves are sold in the marketplace. He almost loses his own freedom by standing up for a runaway slave. He's saved by a gentleman who later offers him a job. Anders seeks to make an honest living, to live with dignity, and to help those who need it in this tale, set in the years leading up to the abolition of slavery. Hi, Larry. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Galit. It's nice to be here. So I read that your protagonist is a fictional retelling of your great-grandfather's life. How did you come to write the story as a novel? Um. Galit, I uh, was uh, completely ignorant of my uh, family's history before the people that I knew, before my uh, parents and grandparents. And uh, sometime in early adulthood, my father mentioned in passing that we had some Norwegian people in our background. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And my wife, um, who was very much interested in genealogy, uh, started looking into their background, and uh, she got some interesting facts. And she start, uh, this was about the time I started uh, trying to seriously write fiction. And I was casting about for a subject, and my wife came to me and said, your great-great-grandfather, Anders Gunstensen, uh, would be perfect for a one-to-two-page report that we could hand in at the Sons of Norway Lodge, and we would get a badge for that. And I said, stop bothering me with this kind of stuff. Can't you see I'm trying to find uh, a subject to write on? But she persisted, and uh, eventually I wrote the one-to-two-page report on Anders Gunstensen, and it forced me to look at the information she had developed, and I was fascinated because Anders uh, got onto a ship in February 1853 in Norway and seven weeks later got off the ship in the port of New Orleans. And I thought, 
Well, that's interesting. I didn't know any Norwegians went to New Orleans. And then furthermore, um, Anders did not uh, go where Norwegians are supposed to go, which, as you may know, is Wisconsin and Minnesota and North Dakota. Uh, He went instead to downstate Illinois, uh, specifically to Menard County, which is just north of Springfield. And then a couple of years later, he married a young woman, Maria Nybro, uh, who also was in Menard County, but who came from the same small fishing village that Anders came from in Norway. So they had to have known each other, and yet they came over separately and apparently did not decide to get married until after they were both over here in the same little town. So all these things intrigued me, and I thought maybe I could write a, a, a good story out of their life. Mm-hmm. And that's how it got started. Interesting. What was happening in 1850s Norway that led so many to come to America? Well, the short answer is there were too many people and not enough land. Um, it was partly a result of the fact that uh, in the early 1800s, uh, they began vaccinating for smallpox. And um, all of a sudden, not nearly as many infants were dying. So there were uh, more and more people, and there were only a certain number of farms that could be inherited. So uh, everybody kind of slid down the social scale, and a lot of them looked to America uh, as the way out. Mm -hmm. Anders is bound in servitude to his uncle. Can you explain how that happened, and was that very common? Uh, I think it was the kind of arrangement that was sometimes uh, made in Norway. I'm not sure how common it was, but essentially Anders uh, wanted to get ahead in the world. He didn't have a farm. His uncle had the farm. Uh, And he thought, if I could get an education, uh, maybe I could get somewhere. So he got his uncle to finance uh, his education at Agricultural College and became as in his words, a trained agriculturist. And then he, uh, in exchange for that, he gave his uncle a pledge of seven years of uh, labor at his farm. And so he, he became essentially an indentured servant for the sake of getting a little education. Right. Anders knows Maria Nybro from Norway in the story, and as you say, possibly in real life. Why is her family name not the typical daughter of someone, uh, the way uh, the way you explain in the book. Also, can you int- can you introduce her? Sure. Uh, Maria is uh, uh, the son of a boat builder by the name of uh, uh, Christian Conradson Nybro. And the reason the, the family, you'll notice that Christian Conradson did indeed have a uh, a patronymic in his name. He was the son of Conrad, but he also had an actual surname, Nybro. And um, it appears from what we've, uh, uh, from the research that my wife has done, that uh, the Nybro family originated at a place in Denmark called Nybro and at some uh, distant time emigrated to Norway and kept the name Nybro. So, so- not, not all Norwegians. Uh, uh, had only a patronymic. Some of them also had uh, place names as as a, as a true surname. Mm. 
Anders befriends a family on the ship with uh, two sons and two daughters. Can you introduce the family and explain the situation? Sure. This is the family led by the the formidable uh, uh, Kristen Harald's daughter. And Kristen Harald's daughter is uh, the wife of a man named Osmond Ryerson. And Osmond had decided, like many people, that he was going to try his fortune in America, and he went on ahead to uh, to find a good piece of land. And when he found it in Menard County, Illinois, he sent for his wife and four children. There were two gro- really grown sons, uh, uh, Ryer and Tor, and uh, two younger teenage daughters, um, um, <laughs> whose names I should know because <laughs> I wrote them, but uh, uh, Corin and Britta. And so uh, uh, Kristen Har- Harold's daughter found herself uh, at the head of a, of a small platoon getting onto the ship, going to Norway, traveling as head of household because her husband was already in America. Okay. Although Andres was himself bound in servitude toward, to his uncle, he'd never seen the selling of a human being until he witnesses a slave auction. Why, are, why, why is he so shocked? Um, I think it was just a sort of a foreign concept to ordinary people in Scandinavia. Uh, number one, that... Um, uh, anybody should be black rather than white. That was a, a, a revelation to him. But number two, that that would be a reason for um, enslaving somebody and, and uh, a complete ownership arrangement. They had in Norway uh, various social classes, and there were uh, people known as crofters who were small farmers that, that were essentially like what we would call sharecroppers. Uh, but they were still free people. They were not owned, and nor were people who, on an indenture like uh, Anders, uh, actually owned uh, by anyone. And so when he saw an auction being held at which human beings were, were the property being sold, uh, it was just uh, a rude awakening. Because he sold himself into servitude. That was probably the difference. And there was a limited time. Mm-hmm. Right, right. The story is told from, you tell the story from three viewpoints, Anders, Maria, and then Daniel. Can you introduce Daniel? Daniel is uh, a teenage boy who is a slave who has lived all his life on Hurricane Plantation in Mississippi. Hurricane Plantation was a very special place, and it's a, it's a real historic place. It was uh, a plantation uh, whose owner, the older brother of uh, Jefferson Davis, um, held social theories um, uh, derived from the English reformer or the Welsh reformer, Robert Owen, uh, and he, uh, uh, Joseph Davis, appears to have felt that if, if the plantation was just organized right, and he had about three hundred slaves, that uh, uh, they could have a, 
a sweet, harmonious um, little utopian society, and it never seems to have occurred to him that um, that that was incompatible with chattel slavery. Uh, so, um, well, Daniel thought otherwise, and having uh, being orphaned, having re- recently lost his mother, he had nothing to lose, and so he made an attempt to escape. What was your research like, for example, in describing the maroon community um, that that Daniel runs away to? Where did you find information about that sort of thing? There's a wonderful book about uh, uh, marinage, as, as it's called, in the continental United States, in the in the southern states. Uh, which is a subject that has not been very well investigated compared to the Maroons of, of the Caribbean islands. Uh, but this, uh, a woman by the name of, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Sylvian Diouf, uh, has written a, a, a wonderful book, uh, just piecing together, fragments really of of history that show that give a an impression of what life was like for these maroons who were people who uh, liberated themselves from plantations and went and lived on the outskirts in the woods in the wilderness or in in places where they wouldn't be easily found and recaptured and of course they had to live a very uh, basic subsistence lifestyle but they preferred that to slavery. Yeah. Um, Maria's aunt is a peripheral character, but she's so interesting. Can you describe her, how she came to America with Maria? What was going on with her? Aunt Osa, I had in the original manuscript of the book, I had a very elaborate uh, backstory on Aunt Osa and uh, for artistic reasons I had to kind of cut it out but Aunt Osa was uh, a little girl who was born and uh, was just uh, not quite right you know there were things about her that were that were different and she had a misshapen head and she she seemed to uh, not catch on to all the things that uh, young children catch on to um, and and yet she was uh, loved and prized in her family. And uh, a- as she grew up, she learned a lot about old Norwegian folk tales and um, uh, all all the uh, kind of typical um, women's work. She was a great cook and 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 did wonderful things of that sort, but she was also uh, extremely superstitious and in command of all the, all the old superstitions. And, uh, and she was the kind of a person who, uh, when, when Maria came over uh, to America, uh, Aunt Osa was already an old woman and Maria uh, promoted her own trip to America on the grounds that she was going to look after Aunt Osa because it was felt that she needed, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of assistance. Well, Aunt Osa is the kind of character that, that one just loves to write because 
she, in a way, she's sort of the fool on the hill. She's always uh, popping up with some uh, some brief expression that uh, uh, that says what nobody else has has thought about. And mm-hmm. uh, so I, I really enjoyed Aunt Osa as a character. And she ends up being really important to Maria. She does a lot of the work. Um, she's a wonderful character. You talk about the Douglas Lincoln election and the people people in the town and at the store are talking about it. Can you say more about that? Well, only I, I, I think um, uh, all your listeners know that Lincoln and Douglas uh, ran against each other in 1858 for the U.S. Senate seat in Illinois, which Douglas held at the time. And Douglas was a major national politician, and Lincoln was uh, uh, just a sort of a, a newcomer, a Johnny-come-lately, on the national political scene. And uh, they had this series of debates in Illinois, uh, which uh, came very near to electing uh, Mr. Lincoln to the Senate, but he didn't quite put it over the top. And uh, uh, But as a result of the debates... He and his positions on slavery became so well known that uh, two years later, he uh, successfully ran for president. Now, that's, it was just a good story, and it was nice to read about it in the book. Yes, um, and, and and there are a lot of uh, kind of strange little things that people today don't think about. But, for example, nobody v- voted uh, directly for the president of the United States. And in those days, nobody voted directly for a senator either. The, if you wanted to vote for Mr. Lincoln, uh, you had to vote for the man who in, in your county was running for the state legislature uh, on Lincoln and on the Republican Party. And then he would vote for Lincoln in the legislature. And that's how that's how the Senate race was decided. So just I I like going into little things like that because, uh, well, it's educational. Yeah. History. Um, Mr. Elliot is a money lender, the store owner, and uh, he's very important to lots of people in the town. Is he evil or is he just being a businessman? Well, I, I, you know, I'm not going to characterize him before people have had a chance to read the book, but uh, I will just say that uh, uh, Mr. Elliot uh, is uh, a person who seems one way to some people and another way to other people. And Mm. I think I'll just let it go at that. That's exactly right. Later in the story, Daniel, formerly a slave, goes to fight for the Union Army during the Civil War. Can you discuss about his unit? Well, um, actually, Daniel uh, enlists in the Union Navy. Uh, rather than the army. And that's one of the um, things that uh, I was kind of surprised to discover. Um, It's well known that uh, uh, black recruits could not join the Union Army until after uh, 1863. Um, And there's been famous movies about that, for instance, uh, Glory, uh, about the 54th Massachusetts. But uh, black men had been in the United States Navy from the founding of the Republic 
and and the, there were always some, and uh, they began uh, enlisting more during the Civil War, and uh, uh, that doesn't mean that there was a matter of perfect equality. Uh, they tended to be um, enlisted for uh, very uh, low-grade subordinate positions, such as uh, stoking the 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 furnace on uh, on steamboats and things like that. But uh, uh, but they could be in the navy um, long before they could be in the army. And, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, so uh, uh, Daniel runs into a situation where he meets a couple of black sailors and they um, they sort of introduce him to the possibility of serving in the Navy. What's going on with the area in Illinois, Menard County, that Andrews farms, that most of the action takes place in this area? Is it still farmland? Did you get a chance to visit? Oh, yes. Is there still a Norwegian community? What's What's going on there? Uh, it's not a Norwegian community, and it, it never was. One of the interesting things about Anders and Maria is that um, un, unlike Norwegians, for example, in farther north in Wisconsin and Minnesota, who had elaborate uh, social welfare systems and had their own newspapers and had a real Norwegian community, uh, Anders and Maria were among only a few Norwegians in uh, uh, Menard County, at that time. And uh, so um, one of the implications is they had to learn English and learn American farming methods and American ways and manners and so forth very quickly. And um, uh, so uh, one upshot of that is that Anders attaches himself to an American mentor by the name of Benjamin Lake, who uh, really is, who is an abolitionist and who, uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, Anders finds Lake a, a wealth of information about America, but he also uh, becomes moved to uh, assist in the in the anti-slavery struggle and the Underground Railway. So, uh, one of the things that was happening in Menard County at that time was lots of fugitive slaves were uh, escaping across the Central Illinois landscape, and they were chased by slave hunters slave catchers trying to get them back uh, on behalf of their their owners in the South. And uh, they were uh, sheltered and protected by people in a uh, an informal but very effective network known as the Underground Railroad. So um, um, that's what that's what made the story interesting to me was that Anders and Maria just happened to have arrived in this particular spot just at the time that uh, the Civil War and the slavery issue were heating up. Mm. So, Larry, you finished this one. It's coming out uh, like today, right? Today is your launch. Happy launch day. What's what are you working on next? Well, I have um, <clears throat> I'm on on the one yard line for my next book, and unfortunately, as as you well know, uh, when you have a publication contract, all of a sudden you uh, almost stop being a writer and become a book salesman all, all overnight. And so uh, a lot of the things I've been doing lately uh, it, to promote 
this this book, Price of Passage, which I dearly love, and it's my my favorite child. Um, uh, it, it, it's been like pulling teeth to find any time to to uh, get beyond the one yard line and into the into the end zone on my next project, which is a wonderful. It's very much different book. It's a historical fiction, but it's a wonderful book, a middle grades book about uh, a young boy growing up in the 1950s. And um, his name is Izzy Mahler, and the name of the book is uh, Izzy Strikes Gold. And it's all written, but, you know, there are all sorts of little things you have to do to make the manuscript perfect before you uh, send it in to anybody. And I'm just trying to find the time to do those things. Ah, good luck with everything. Happy reading, happy writing, and again, happy launch day. Thank you so much for joining me, Larry Summers. It's been a pleasure. Galit, uh, I've really enjoyed it, and um, I, I would come back on your podcast anytime. Again, thanks for joining me. And this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I've been talking to Larry Summers, author of Price of Passage, A Tale of Immigration and Liberation. Hope you're all able to lose yourself in a good book today and always.